the first thing we did when we sort of honed in on this idea of experience being so important is we went out. We wanted to learn from the people who are known for this. And the second step is intentionality. As decisions are being made, putting ourselves in the shoes of students and trying to think about how are they going to feel? Are they going to feel how we hope that they will feel if we're doing this initiative? Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the Bee Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I ld.tv. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Allison Tercio. Allison is the Assistant Vice President for Enrollment and Marketing at Siena College, and uh, she is also the host of the application podcast on the Enrollify Network. And in this episode, we talk about storytelling from the perspective of creating really positive student experiences that foster belonging, and how doing that creates the environment for student success stories to emerge and thrive. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Allison. Allison, thanks for joining the podcast here today. It's great to have you on. I'm so happy to be on. We've been talking about this for a while, really. Yeah, so I've I've enjoyed um, following your podcast. Your podcast is the is the application on Enrollify Network. Yes, that's it. That's the one. A lot of good guests on there. I appreciate like the snack sized, you know, kind of approach. They're like 20 minute long episodes. I think it's been good. Thank you. Yeah, we try to keep it really short and actionable because you might not have time. And there's all so many great longer higher ed marketing related podcasts out there. And so a higher ed marketer only has so much time in the day. So I was trying to get something going that fit into their schedule so that they could still maintain the other really great podcasts that I know that they're listening to. Yeah, for sure. It's great. I, I like it. Um, so today we're talking about uh, creating an environment at your institution where the student experience is so great that they want to spread the word naturally, tell their own story. And you are coming from uh, Siena College. Uh, and so tell me about Siena. Let's just give us a broad overview of Siena and your role there, and then we'll jump into that topic. Cool. My favorite topic is talking about Siena. Second favorite topic is talking about higher ed. So this is perfect. Um, So Siena College is a small regional liberal arts private college, Catholic college, just outside of Albany, New York, which is New York State Capitol. And we have about 3,400 students. They're almost all traditionally aged undergraduate students. So you can imagine, if you know much about higher ed, Siena is not the type of college that should be winning right now, Mm. (laughs) right? Uh, and, and the cliff is going to impact colleges like Siena the most. But we're, we're doing really well. We have our highest enrollment ever 
at the college right now. And so really exciting times at Siena. And it's a combination of the college investing in really strategic things like marketing investment, but also being really smart about the new programs that it's bringing online. And so we're really reaping the benefits of those two things colliding at the same time. Um, We just finished first year of our new strategic plan. And the centerpiece to that strategic plan is experience, the employee experience and the student experience. And so that's why this is what we're chatting about that topic today. That's awesome. Um, congrats on, you know, the, the enrollment numbers and, and stuff like that. That's not, we don't see things going in that direction. <laughs> no, the, we're on paper. If you looked at us, you'd be surprised that we're doing that right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so one thing I've started to ask guests on the show is, um, and I didn't prep you with this question, so <laughs> we can edit this if you need some time to think. What's something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Surprised to learn about me? I'm a huge geek. Really, I am. I've, <laughs> I'm the kid who sat in the front of Well, maybe that won't be a surprise. Probably it won't be a surprise to any of you who've ever talked to me, but I'm actually a huge dork, huge geek. I'm like sitting in the front row of class, loved school my whole entire life. I read more than 50 books a year. I was in high school. I was president of the marching band. I mean, you don't get much more geeky and dorky than than me. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I was the opposite. I was in a punk band. Sat in the back of the class, fell asleep. <laughs> Everything that you would imagine that life to look like, that was me. <laughs> but I hung out in the art room a lot. So like I I excelled there and my parents were like super glad that that worked out for me. They were like, he actually made it to college. And, <laughs> and it actually has a wife and two kids and they're all not starving. You know, <laughs> so. They let it play out. They played it just right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. Good to know about you. Um, so, give me. Uh, oh, you told me. Uh, you told me Siena College, Franciscan and Catholic institution. So, yeah. what what makes it a, like a Franciscan? What's is that a different thing? Yeah. So, Franciscans are friars. Some of them are priests, but all of them are at least brothers. They're the guys that wear the brown robes, mm. right, with the three knots. So, if you've ever seen, and also the best way to understand where Franciscan comes from, I mean, the Pope. The current pope took his name of St. Francis. That is the leader of the Franciscan movement. So a lot of the things that you hear that the pope is really um, behind, especially with climate change and caring for the environment, those are all very important Franciscan values. But the values are things very universal, I think, that people resonate with compassionate leadership, inclusivity, care for the environment, um, being other-centered versus self-centered, being relationship-centered. So that's really the ways that we try to live the Franciscan tradition. And we still do have friars on campus. They teach. There's one that works on the enrollment team. There's one that runs the International Programs Office. Um, there's one that's vice president of mission. So it's kind of cool that we still have them really integrated with our community and they're well known by the students. Do they wear brown robes every day? They do. They, do. Ah, they cool. don't have to wear them everywhere every day, but they mostly do. Yeah. That's awesome. Speaking, of, I mean, I like this pope. I don't follow popes, you know, too, too much in my life, um, but I like this pope. 
we think we've got a good one right now. I like his kind of philosophies and his kind of just balance of like, you know, humanity and like you said, climate change and yeah. things like that and not yeah, getting sucked very... into like the politics and all this stuff. Yeah, he feels very human, right? So whether or not you agree perhaps with some of the tenets of Catholicism, um, his approach is very human. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the last Pope was more intellectual. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, so talk about um, how do you go about fostering a sense of belonging uh, for students at Siena College? What, what kind of like programs, initiatives do you have? What, what have you found uh, effective? Well, first, the first thing I'd say we found effective is that going to other colleges who are doing this really well and listening and seeing how are they doing this and how are the students feeling about um, what's happening at those colleges. So we have visited a couple colleges. Um, one of them is Texas Christian University. They're very well known for their student experience. This summer we went to James Madison University. So the first thing we did when we sort of honed in on this idea of experience being so important is we went out. We wanted to learn from the people who are known for this. And so that was the first step. And the second step is um, intentionality. As decisions are being made, really putting ourselves in the shoes of students and trying to think about how are they going to feel? Is it, are they going to feel how we hope that they will feel if we're doing this initiative? So there's a decision-making and a cultural component. Of course, there's lots of tactical things to execute on when you're trying to do this. Um, but I think those two things were more important than any of the tactical pieces that we've implemented. Yeah, going to just seeing what's already working is huge. That's like advice that applies to, you know, content marketing, storytelling in, in general, especially like on social media and things like that, where it's always changing, always changing. The algorithms are changing. Just go look at what's already working. Yeah. And then iterate from that. And I think that's a good way to kind of apply that to the student experience, just looking at what's already working. What are students naturally responding to What you versus what you assume they would respond to if you were to just make assumptions and then implement, you know, programs. So Yeah. And I think what we found is it's not add this specific thing, add this event. You know, um, TCU does a concert almost every weekend at their stadium when there's not a football game. That is not on budget for Siena, you know, that's not yeah. going to happen. But there's an intentionality about how they engage students in the process of building out this kind of programming. The students often are executing on this programming and intentionality behind the why. Why are we holding these concerts? So I think the lesson learned from visiting the other campuses is not do exactly this. It's more about changing your thinking to be more student-centered and changing your decision-making to have that intentionality behind it. That was really the lesson because the way it gets applied depends on your school and depends on your student body, right? Yeah. What were some, aside from the concerts and, and things like that, what were some other things that you guys picked up on as you kind of studied other schools? Well, one really specific idea that I think TCU does that is just amazing. They have this thing called Frog Camp. And okay. it's before orientation. And what happens is the first year students sign up for trips with each other, small trips. I think it's about 30 to 40 students. And what's better than going away with a group of people to develop a sense of belonging? 
Oh, yeah. And travel to a destination. So they've gone all over the place. They've gone to Alaska. They've gone to New Orleans. They do one that's on campus because some students want to do it on campus. The coolest one that they do is mystery camp. Or they show up on campus or they show up at the airport and they have no idea where they're going. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And you're right. Like the times that like I have traveled for an extended period of time with people, because I used to do like through my church, I went, uh, went did mission trips, went to Brazil, um, did some stuff in Utah, Mississippi, when the Katrina happened and all that stuff. And like those times, I'm just like those people and like, are we just, you just develop this incredible bond um that when you i imagine when you bring that back to a a campus where all those people are on campus that's like an elevated bond you know when you go on like mission trip with people they're usually scattered and you know and then you kind of lose touch over time but that's cool that's that's a great way to i think that's a great idea just doing these trips and one of the ways we implemented at Siena, and we did try our version of that this summer very successfully but an even better idea was For all of our accepted student admissions events, we've thought about what are the ways we can change the schedule, change the structure of this so that we create more opportunities for the students to engage with each other and find their people and start to create that sense of community and connection amongst each other. So whereas we always had opportunities for meet and greet, you know, oh, class meet up at this time, but we became very intentional about how that time was structured so that they could find their people and start to build those friendships early on. So does um, Sienna do a lot of like service projects, mission trips, uh, things like that, where that would, um, you know, kind of form those relationships? Yeah, service trips, especially our Habitat for Humanity trip that they do for spring break is very popular. And also study tours at Siena are very popular. They go all over. They go to Italy. They've gone to Japan. There's one going to Poland Mm. next academic year. And those are very popular too. And we know from experience because we have sent videographers or social media people on the trips, some of these trips as chaperones and then to capture the experience. Those become very defining in terms of friendships. They might not know this person, but after this trip, they're connected forever by this experience. So having these experiences that bring people together, even in small groups, can be very impactful on how they feel about the college experience as a whole. Yeah, that's great. Um, What are some ways that you encourage positive interactions between uh, students, faculty, and staff? How do you create kind of a supportive welcoming atmosphere? I think the first thing is really thinking about those first moments, right? And the onboarding and what what does that look and feel like and thinking about it from the student student perspective. Last year, for the first time, we implemented a um, ceremony, the night of move-in. It's sort of a transition ceremony where the students, we have these arches next to our grotto on campus. Our grotto is um, a place of prayer with lots of candles, kind of like a cave looking where you can light the candles. Um, And we have these three arches and we had this whole, not initiation ceremony, that's the wrong word because that's for sororities and fraternities, but this sort of transition into I'm a saint now. And they Mm. walked through the arches um, and were ringing the bells that are in the arches as they walk through and they got a blessing from the friars. 
as mm. they went through. They had a blessing on them. So we had this, we created this moment of welcome, the symbolic moment of you are now saints, you are now part of us. So I think it's looking for those opportunities to make people feel connected. Ensure that you're setting the stage. You can't force someone to feel that they belong, right? But you can set up experiences. You can set the stage. You can set the tone for that to happen. You can create the opening for that to happen. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of when my wife and I first got married, community has always been really important to us. And so we moved into our, our first house. We didn't do a great job of like introducing ourselves to neighbors and like kind of getting to know people um, until it was like we've been living there for a few months. And now it's kind of like, well, now it's kind of awkward to like just be introducing yourself okay, right. for the first. Yeah. <laughs> so we really just didn't know anybody. And then we moved to the west side of the state and uh, we my wife got went to um, uh, Western to get her uh, master's in social work. And we ended up living in this sort of like old people's community because we had uh, this woman just let us stay there for free if we would like mow her lawn and stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and so we were surrounded by just these um, elderly people. And we just made it a point to just go door to door and be like, here we are, like right when we got there. And it was amazing, like the difference in belonging and connectedness, like my next door neighbor, uh, him and I would go golfing, you know, and, and stuff like that, which is like a world of a difference from just like not knowing people. Yesterday, I, I joined a new uh, gym and yesterday was my second day. And I actually was thinking this very thing where it's like, it's like awkward. You know, you're like coming into an environment where you're kind of vulnerable. Everyone's been there for a while. Some people, you know, maybe some people are new, but, um, and I just kind of hearkened back to that, like, all right. I have to go introduce myself and meet some people. So like just getting over that hump, meeting a couple people. And it was like, when you break that seal, like people are so willing to be like, Oh yeah, here, yeah. That's my name. Like, tell me about yourself, blah, 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 blah. So, but yeah, like, like those first moments. Cause I feel like if you wait too long to create that belongingness, it's, it becomes awkward, you know? And now more than ever, if you're thinking about traditionally aged college students coming out of high school. So the ones that are starting this year as freshmen in college, The pandemic hit them March of their freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. That is a very formative time in terms of social. Yeah. Right. Think about that's just when you're getting your feet under you in high school and maybe starting to get those friend groups solidified and the rug was pulled out from under them. So I think the social piece and finding friends is top of mind for them. But maybe they don't know how to take that first step. So you have to set the stage. Yeah. You have to create the comfort level so that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I remember in college some like awkward meet and greet, like icebreakers and things like that. (laughs) But but really, I mean, it's like the people that you end up interacting with daily, like in classes and stuff like that, uh, where you eventually kind of find your way. But yeah, man, I can't imagine. I remember being so nervous to go to high school, uh, like my freshman year. I can't imagine like going and then just having that rug pulled out, you know, and then it just figuring out like virtual school and all that stuff. That's just hard to put yourself in that position. Yeah. I mean, we've been very focused, colleges and, u- and universities, on the deficiencies or what was missed on the academic side. And, of course, the mental health 
has been top of mind, but I don't know if everyone's been thinking so much about the social aspect that was missed. Yes, that contributed to some of the mental health increases that we've seen, but they might not know how to take that first step. We have to make it so they feel comfortable to make that first step more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Quick break here. I have a question for you. Have you ever had to manage the production of a video before for your school where you were the person that had to coordinate all the scheduling? Like you had like five people that needed to be interviewed for this thing and you had to juggle all the schedules and figure out how to line them up for individual slots miraculously on the same day. And on top of that, you had to talk to you like your facilities guy and make sure the door to the engineering lab was going to be open at a certain time so the crew could get in there and film some B-roll. You had to coordinate volunteers to be in the footage and, and blah, 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 and, 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 right? Let me tell you something. Working with an outside video vendor should not look like this. Unfortunately, I've worked with enough video folks to know that the mainstream school of thought is they will coordinate the crew and all the production stuff, the editing, etc., and they will expect you to coordinate all your folks. And I'll be honest, sometimes there's stuff that the video people just can't coordinate for you. Like, I'm probably not going to email your college's president out of the blue to ask them to be in this video and to coordinate their schedule when they've never heard of me or this project. Like that just makes more sense coming from you at least to get their initial buy-in. But as much as possible, your job should be to get buy-in from all the right people and then introduce those stakeholders to the video producer to coordinate, which is not you. Unfortunately, we live in a world where it just doesn't work like that most of the time. In fact, I talked to a marketing director at a pretty well-known art school recently who told me he hired this video crew to film a couple program promo videos and they paid a lot of extra money. This was a bit of a splurge is the impression I got. And they got two videos out of the deal. And he said to me, all that money we paid and I still had to coordinate everything. Like we paid a premium for someone to do these videos and I was doing all the grunt work. So here's the deal. At Unveiled, one of the things we take really seriously is making sure the process is easy on you especially that pre-production process, which is where a lot of the not fun stuff tends to show up. So whether we're working together through our video storytelling subscriptions, a big commercial, or maybe a smaller one-off video project, know that in addition to delivering a great end product, we also have our eyes on making that a smooth and oftentimes fun journey along the way. And even after it's done, we wanna make sure you're set up for success, which is why we give you all the raw footage, all that B-roll and interview footage to repurpose however you want at no extra charge. So if you have video needs right now, don't let the management of those projects stress you out. We are your partners in taking as much work off your plate as possible. So if that's you, I want you to head over to unveiled.tv. That's U-N-V-E-I-L-D.tv and book a call with me. And let's talk about how we can best support you. All right, back to the show. What about like faculty and staff? Like what role has Sienna faculty and staff played in making students feel comfortable, feel like they can open up? How do you like foster those connections? I think, honestly, we tried to start that with the admissions team. When we talk about Franciscan, and earlier I said that Franciscan is all about relationships, right? Everybody is in relationship with one another. We're in relationship with the earth, the environment. And the way that we do recruiting, and I do call it recruiting for Sienna because that's what we're doing. Admissions is we admit students to the college, but we're recruiting to the mm. college, right? There's two different kinds of colleges out there, ones that have admissions offices and ones that have admissions offices, but mostly they're recruiting. 
Explain the difference well, to me. Well, some people are deciding on the exact right makeup of who gets in. Okay. They have gotcha. such a brand name. They don't need to recruit the students that, you know, the it's the high yielding versus the lower yielding schools, right? But our admissions team creates these one-on-one relationships with students, hundreds of one-on-one relationships, because our entire communications flow is built up to be one-on-one. It is not, let me tell you about the school of business at Siena. Now let me tell you about undergraduate research. That's not how it goes at all. What we try to do is tell me about what you're picturing for college. Mm -hmm. Ask questions like that. When you think about your first days of college, what comes to mind? And then we talk about how Sienna might fit that vision that they have for themselves, right? So it's a very one-on-one. We're asking very personal questions and then tailoring the information one-on-one back to them. So that tells you what it is to be Franciscan without telling you, right? We're telling Mm -hmm. by in our action and how we're approaching students. And I think that is super important for sort of defining. So employees, faculty, staff, administrators, we have to think about how we act, how we portray what it means to be part of our community in our actions, not just Mm. being able to rattle off a mission statement or rattle off the core values, right? You'll sound a lot like other colleges when you do that, but how in how we approach our students, we show them how we're different and show them what it is to be a member of the Siena community. Yeah, I like that. And I think uh, just that one-to-one approach. And, you know, we talk a lot in this podcast about like mass communications, like creating a video, putting on YouTube or email newsletters or, or whatever like that. But there is so much power in just getting real granular and just connecting with one person and getting to know that one person and kind of helping them like onboard them. I was at a preview day last week. I was standing next to one of the admissions counselors, actually the admissions counselor who is assigned to our most local region around Sienna. His name's Jim. And I cannot tell you the number of families coming up to Jim. Oh, Jim, this, Jim, that. They feel like they really, really know him because Mm -hmm. of how the admissions team approaches this. It's really impressive. Now, Jim usually takes, after a couple quick questions, he'll, he'll remember who this family is. But sometimes they don't remember exactly who the family is, but because... 40% of our class comes from right around Siena, right? So that's a lot of families for Jim to be able to track in his mind, right? That he's had conversations with. But the thing is, they all feel like Jim knows them and I know Jim. Mm. That's really important. Super important. I remember college recruiter that came to my high school and formed a relationship with me. And then I went to some like... uh, it was like I don't know what it was like an event there was like a bunch of art schools there and um, the recruiters were there um, and you bring your portfolio and you show all these colleges whatever and then she sought me out and she knew my name and she went and found my parents and was like you know we want John to come to our school and like now I realize like that was like her job you know but I like really felt connected to the school because somebody took an interest in me personally we can't lose that It's so easy to, though, because now we have so much data, we have CRMs, automation, that stuff runs the risk of taking the human side out of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so we try to really pay attention to keeping an intentional way the human approach in what we do across the board. And we're really hoping that that does something for the student experience that makes the student experience special. Yeah. And we were talking about just, um, you know, how that leads to 
natural storytelling, like people that yeah. just now have been affected and want to share that? Like, can you think of any examples of maybe where that's occurred? Um, well, you just did one. So thanks, John. Yes. I mean, your example <laughs> is exactly you. I'm not the first person you told that story to. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we create these moments that where that happens. I think the best example for us and the most rewarding thing for us is we put together a senior class video and the videographer on my team goes out and interviews 20 plus students. And what they say is not generic. Mm. What they end up saying is is stories. And that that's the difference. Can you produce a senior class video in the end that's saying sort of generic things like, oh, this was a great experience, best four years of my life. Everybody has students who say that. Or yeah. are they talking about how Dr. LaRoe, I would not be on my way to medical school if Dr. LaRoe didn't help me every step of the way. That's the difference, yeah. I think, really, in what you're going to get in the quality of storytelling. It's in the real detail, real characters, real detail, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, what would be the output of that? Like, your videographer going around? Is that like one video and he or she is mashing up all these responses yeah. or? Yeah, it's a mashup that gets played at commencement, but then we use it. You know what? We often use it to open up our admissions info sessions because what's more valuable? An admissions counselor standing up in front of that room giving the spiel or letting our students be able to tell that story. And so what we're finding is that we have way more opportunities to let the students tell Sienna's story in our marketing as well. But I think just naturally, we know we are marketers. We, we work in this. When you're creating experiences like this, you're driving word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So they're not just saying that stuff on camera. I'm confident to my videographer. That's what they're saying to their parents. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're saying to their family and their friends. And, you know, I'd put myself out of a job, truly, because I would love to see a world where colleges across the board are making the experience so valued, so good, that I don't need to market to them. I don't need yeah. to advertise. And fixes our higher ed reputation problem we have where people think college isn't worth it anymore. Yeah. Or the cost is way too high. We could we could fix this all, everyone. We could if we really focused in and on the student and their experience and we ensured that that's what's happening. And those stories, like the stories are the most powerful yeah. thing. I mean, I think if you're going to have a, a fundraising event or anything like yeah. that, it's like that's the stuff that, that matters. I, I read there's a book I like called Stories That Stick. And she, um, Kendra Hall, she is the author, talks about how she consulted with this what is it, like a medical organization and then they had like this yearly kind of like fundraiser or whatever and normally they would choose like the big shot doctors and surgeons to come and talk about the impact that they're making and then when she came on board she was like no let's hear from patients you know who have had yeah. you know a great impact and we don't care what their pedigree is and i don't know what the stats were but it was like monumentally you know, more yeah. money, more outcome, um, because people don't really care about, I mean, they care about your president and the staff and stuff like that. But what they really care about is like, can they see themselves in this student's story, um, you know, for their son or for their daughter or whatever it is. Yeah, we have a commercial that we, one of the commercials that we have, one of the 30 second spots we have is entirely student voiced. And mm. it's just what they say about Sienna mashed together in a commercial. It's very emotional versus rational approach. We try to run both because 
the mix works too, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. you're appealing to the rational, sometimes to the emotional. But I do think it's so powerful. But you have to be creating an environment where that's possible. Mm-hmm. So I think when we start thinking about student stories and students as ambassadors, and a lot of the times we go right to marketing. Right. We go, we go right to who can produce this video and who can. No, it has to start with they have to have something worth talking about. Right. Which is not just marketing. That's everybody. So when you get mm-hmm. everyone thinking that way, I think it can be really powerful. We're hoping we're not perfect at this. This is what we're working at at CM, yeah. right? This is what we're, we're all, it's all top of mind. It's what we're trying to center ourselves around. So it remains to be seen, but that's what we're hoping because there's an arms race in marketing and advertising spend. I'm sorry, there is. And we're not going to be able to keep up with it. I can't more than double my marketing budget. Sienna mm-hmm. can't afford that because we're trying to put it, the money into the student experience. It's So um, we're really counting on the focus of student experience driving enough word of mouth that we're less reliant on needing traditional advertising and digital advertising, you know, because that is so much more powerful than any ad I mm-hmm. can ever run. Absolutely. And I think in just what you mentioned, because I was going to ask you like what your um, do you have like a story collecting kind of approach, but even just that, like send a videographer out into campus and just like pick people off, uh, <laughs> you know, that are walking around like a man on the street kind of thing. And just, uh, and just like capture their, their stories, put that together. And something. I think we overcomplicate everything. We think that it has yeah. to have, you got to have a drone shot and, uh, you know, it's gotta be perfect lighting and you gotta have people pointing at stuff computer screens and <laughs> and stuff but it really can just be like shot on an iphone uh tell me a story of you know a time you were impacted by sienna college you know gosh look at what they're watching on youtube it is not highly produced mm-hmm. it really isn't it's not yeah um yeah i think that's great and like more and more i like really encourage that sort of lo-fi approach and despite the fact that like i have a vested interest in like high quality productions and stuff like that but you know for for my company but at the same time i'm also i'm also like there's a lot of value in not doing that <laughs> it's both john i think yeah. it's both i think that's the world we need to live in it's not either or it's mm-hmm. both and having both enhances each other yeah i really believe that for sure um as you guys have been trying to create these student experiences has there been any any missteps that or like any learnings that where it's like, okay, let's do that differently next time or uh, anything like that? I think the biggest lessons usually is how are you engaging students up front early on? It's probably not going to hit if they're not in on it from the beginning. You know, you can't yeah. put it on, put it on to them. Um, it's just not going to happen. I think another thing we learned, we've learned is it's okay if you start with the new students because it's really hard to create a new tradition, say, for mm-hmm. the students who have been here for two or three years. Yeah. And just and throw that, if you start with a first year class with some new experiences that you're trying to incorporate by the time they're seniors, now it's been fully adopted, right? So it's yeah. okay if when you're first going out, um, we never had homecoming before. We've only had homecoming, I think, for two years now. We don't have football. So yeah. now we've done homecoming aligned to basketball, we've created all of these events around it. And it's okay if all the students don't come 
His wife, a senior's like, what, homecoming? Right. <laughs> What's that? It, that's yeah. okay. And so I think the lesson is that things take time to become part of the culture. It takes time. Mm-hmm. You can't force this stuff. Yeah. And like, and I just think the idea of belonging is so paramount for especially a freshman coming into college. And how can you create an environment that facilitates connections, facilitates like natural connections? I'm, I'm a little bit anti like icebreaker, (laughs) you know, like two truths and a lie or whatever, like, (laughs) like these like company, company icebreakers that you do for like retreats and stuff like that. Um, But not to say that that's bad, but like for finding other ways to like create these uh, connection points where, where students can feel like, Oh, okay, like I, I was given a chance to get to know some people, get to know some names. They know me. People are interested in me. I finally feel like I belong somewhere. I've. It's just like that whole college experience is almost as much about belonging as it is about academics and what job you're going to get later. Absolutely. Retention is about both, too. A lot of times we think about retention as an academic thing or maybe a financial thing they can't say they couldn't hack it in the classes they struggled so they're they're leaving or you think about a financial circumstance change but belonging plays a huge role in whether or not a student stays Mm -hmm. and graduates on time yeah i believe it um well cool this has been great what would you um what final words of wisdom would you give to to colleges who are wanting to create deeper emotional connections with their students find one initiative that people can rally around so whether it's the onboarding whether it's we're going to start a homecoming whatever it is something that crosses a lot of different departments and you're going to take a student-centered approach to building that initiative and a collaborative approach to building that initiative, that is going to start to get this idea of student experience being so important and student-centeredness being so important into people's minds and their behavior and into the culture better than any marketer or any leader at the organization, top-down kind of approach saying, all right, I want everything to be this way now, right? We have to work our way through this. This isn't something you can just snap your fingers and say, this is now our focus. You have to work at it. So I think picking an initiative that crosses a lot of different divisions of the college, brings a lot of different people together, and really you work through it as a group about, and and you check each other on staying student-centered in how you're making those decisions. I think that's where you start. So you don't have to start with everything. Start with one thing. What's the one thing at your school that you can bring multiple parties together to work on? Yeah. And when you say student centered, what is what does that look like versus what does it look like to not be student centered? Well, so I often have heard that, you know, student centered means we're going to have to say yes to everybody. You know, yes to everything a student wants, which is a big problem on a college campus. We can't give everybody A's. Right? right? We can't say yes to everything. But I always use this example. The admissions office says no to the most amount of students of everybody on our campus, right? They tell them no, they can't come to Siena. Mm-hmm. And the financial aid office has to say, no, I'm sorry, we don't have any more financial aid to give you. Those are hard no's to deliver. But so how can you do be doing that? How can it be a no, but someone still feel valued? Someone still feel heard? someone still feels connected. 
I think that's really what student-centered is about, but also it's about using student insights to make your decisions, collecting all of the data you can, all the stories that you can, because stories can be qualitative data for sure, to, Mm -hmm. to inform the actions that you're taking. Awesome. That's great advice. Um, anything else that I didn't ask you that I should ask you? No. Good. All right. Awesome. Well, where can, um, first of all, I encourage everyone to go listen to the application podcast. So where are you? Like, is there another season coming out? Like what's the future for that? Yeah, I have another season coming out this fall. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be a 13 episode season. I've already started recording, have some really awesome, great topics. The first one is on first gen students Mm. and web user experiences and marketing to first gen students. So don't miss that. That's interesting. So when you do a new season, do you release them all at once or do you kind of drip them out? They're released every other week. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I like that. Maybe I'll start doing seasons because that seems a little more palatable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> every week, it's every week. I'm just kind of like, okay, it's got. Gotta it's get like it a, out. It, Gotta get an episode out. It's a churn. Yeah. yeah, I try to get ahead as much as I can, but uh, but I do like the idea of of doing seasons and uh, and just kind of like just banging it all out and then just kind of dripping them out, you know. Yes. So where can people connect with you at if they have questions, if they want to learn more about Sienna? Well, if you want to connect with me, I actually have a website, allisontercio.com, that you can go to, but I'm very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. You'll find links to those on my website. I also publish a newsletter for higher ed marketers called the Higher Ed Marketers Digest, where you'll find that on my website too. You can sign up for that. It's really just a collection of the awesome podcast, the awesome blog posts, the awesome LinkedIn posts, the tweets that our industry is putting out and I just try to put them all in one place because it's really hard Mm -hmm. to track them all over. So I try to just collect them for everybody so that you can kind of skim through and see what's most valuable to you. I agree. I I am a subscriber to this email list and I I just recently subscribed and I got my first uh, installment uh, the other day. It was very helpful, very like jam packed with tons of links, like a great roundup of like, you know, higher ed marketing stuff. So I think uh, everyone should go uh, subscribe to that. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter, all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv slash newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone, share it with your team, your boss, your dog, whatever. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, Number three, reach out to me. If you have comments, questions, you want to talk about a video project, whatever. My email is john at unveiled.tv. John is spelled J-O-H-N. Or follow me on LinkedIn. If you're searching for me, my last name is spelled A-Z-O-N-I. That's all for today. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast. Thanks. Thanks.